Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on The Basic Podcast, where you can hear all of our latest messages, interviews, and more. Basic is a college and young adult ministry focused on uniting people to join in Jesus' work. To keep up with what's happening in our community, take a moment to follow us at Basic Worship or explore our website, basicworship.org. We hope you enjoy this episode of our podcast and that it helps you take a next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good evening. Good evening, Basic. It's, I'm Kevin, uh, uh, and I'm really happy to be here. Um, I'm pastor in Mason City at Trinity Lutheran there, and um, love when Carter and Sarah and the Basic team ask me to come and be here and teach. Um, so when Carter said that you were doing uh, a run-up to the election, talking about politics and faith, and he said, we want you to talk about politics and the kingdom of God. I was like, really, Carter? Why do you want me to do this? Um, most of the time, is the, the question that Carter brought up was really relevant. Um, most of the people I've dealt with in churches uh, in 30 years have said, don't talk about politics and faith in the church. In fact, the times when I've tried to wade into that, um, I've literally had people come into my office and say, don't do that again, or you will lose me and you will lose my money. They threaten. Just don't do it. So when he asked me to do it, I'm excited to do it because I finally get a chance to do something I haven't had a chance to do for 30 years. So I've got about 30 years worth of things to say coming at you really quickly. Um, but I'm also anxious and a little nervous about that. Um, so I would just like us to pray one more time here, please. Gracious God, um, when you look down, can you see the mess? Uh, can you see the hurt and the division and the anger and the frustration? Not just here in our country and in our homes and communities, but, man, around the world. And you have promised that in the midst of it all, that where two or three are gathered in your name, you will be there. Well, there's more of us than two here, and we're gathered in your name. And so we cling to that promise. Send your Holy Spirit around us to calm our hearts, to still our minds, to breathe peace into our anxieties, to bring peace to my anxiety. Let us feel your spirit, a spirit of compassion, a spirit of might, and of counsel, and of love and joy. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to start um, this evening with uh, a conversation, a real quick conversation, um, without using words. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to have a really brief conversation with those people around you, or six feet from you, however you're doing it, just using your eyes and your head, okay? So, for example, if your response is no, give us one of those eye looks like a parent gives when they want you to say no. You know that look that says, I don't even have to say no, I shouldn't have to say no right now? Um, if you agree, give that uh, approval, apparent approval look. You know that look that's not just, hey, I'm proud of you, but see, this is what I was trying to tell you the whole time. You finally figured it out, right? Um, you can give the confused puppy look. Huh? Right? 
I, I'm not sure what he's talking about, uh, but what is going on here? Or you can give the deer in the headlight look, right? Like, holy crap, what's he talking about? All right? So those are your choices. Here's the question. Are there politics in heaven? Are there politics in heaven? Have your little discussion without using your words. Are there politics in heaven? Um, you're, you've been in college and in school long enough that you should know by now that when anybody gives you a four multiple choice on a test, there's usually a better answer that's none of the four that's on the test, right? That's what's here. There was, there's some other answers too. But one of the answers should have been the skeptical squint. You know, the, mm, I don't think you're giving us all the information. This is a trick question. It is. Question should have been asked, what do you mean by politics? Question could have been asked, what do you mean by heaven? Because when we talk to people, we don't always have the same idea of these things. Now, by politics, I just simply mean the best definition of politics I've ever heard is that politics are simply the system by which we choose the rules in which we live and engage in community. Whatever that system is. So whatever the system is by which we choose the rules or by which we make the rules, not that we don't always have a choice, um, the rules are made by which we engage in community. That's just politics, and it happens everywhere, right? In family homes, in, in churches, in neighborhoods, in uh, government buildings, politics is just how we make the rules. Heaven, though, is a different thing, right? Usually when you say heaven, frequently people get that picture that you've had ever since you were a little kid that you read in your uh, Bible uh, from Sunday school, if you did that, or what people tell you when you go to a funeral for the first time is that that person has gone to heaven and you get this picture, you know, of the clouds and the angels and harps playing and things like that where everything is beautiful and wonderful. Um, and that's not bad when you're a kid, but that's also not exactly scriptural. That's not how the Bible talks about heaven. It's certainly not the way Jesus talks about heaven. Um, most of the time when Jesus talks about heaven, he mentions either the heavens, meaning kind of the upper realms, uh, dimensions where the divine beings live or where God lives, or more commonly what Jesus uses is the phrase kingdom of heaven. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, he uses kingdom of God. But far and away, when Jesus talks about heaven, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And if that doesn't give you a sense that there's politics in heaven, it's called a kingdom, right? And kings are political. Um, there are politics in heaven. But more importantly, the kingdom of heaven isn't someplace far away. The kingdom of heaven is someplace that's here now. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. And he described it and says, it's right here, right here, right now. Not in its fullness, not what it will one day be, but right here, right now, the kingdom of heaven is already present. And he takes a lot of time in parables and other uh, ways of teaching the disciples, what that kingdom of heaven in the world right now looks like. 
But he does it in another place, too, a place that I'm going to bet most of us are much more familiar with. If you've got your Bible or a phone, look up Matthew chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Um, this is something, as I said, you're probably familiar with. It's actually the Lord's Prayer. Most, uh, many of us, I shouldn't say most, many of us learn that as a child. Uh, in my church, we say it during every worship service. does not matter uh, what service it is. We include the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I actually believe that this is Jesus' clearest description of what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the disciples have said to Jesus, you know, when we pray... How do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And so starting in verse 9, Jesus says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So Jesus starts out, we're addressing our heavenly Father as opposed to any earthly fathers, parents we might have. Um, and then he says, holy is your name. You are set apart. You are special. Holiness is just to be set apart. But then he starts, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. Okay, Jesus teaches us right out of the gate, pray that God's kingdom comes here on earth. Now, I was taught growing up that the rest of the prayer is just an, a list of different things that we pray for. But I've come to believe that Instead of a period at the end of heaven, it should be a colon. And that everything else we pray for is actually a description of that kingdom here on earth. And what does that kingdom look like? Give us this day our daily bread. In God's kingdom, everybody has everything they need for daily life. Not necessarily more. Not necessarily enough for next week or next month or maybe not even tomorrow. But enough to get through today. In God's kingdom, everybody has what they need. Now, we might think that that's just bread, water, clothing, shelter. But 500 years ago, Martin Luther, the theologian, said, no, 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 it's much more than that. It's about having a good family and a good community to live in. He even says it's about having a good government. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're even praying for good government as part of the daily bread that we need. And as life goes on, there's other things that I think we might want to start to continue. Is affordable health care, daily bread, something we need for daily life? Is the internet and access to information part of the daily bread now that we pray for? Some interesting conversations there. And then he goes on, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. Or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The kingdom of God in the world today is a place that requires reconciliation. That things have been broken and hurting and people have sinned. And that there is a need not only to forgive but to receive forgiveness. Right? It's a place where reconciliation happens. Do not bring us to the time of trial. In the kingdom of heaven today, there's temptations. There's temptations to do things against God's will that are not part of the kingdom. There are temptations to do things that hurt and harm others as well as hurt and harm ourselves. 
We just ask God, help us to get out of those times. Help us to move past and through those tests. In the same way that Jesus was tested by the devil, right? And he passed those tests by relying on God and God's word. And then rescue us from the evil one. When we pray that these days, we say, uh, deliver us from evil, right? In the kingdom of God, there's evil. This is one of the places where people just back up and they say, no, no, there's not supposed to be. Heaven's supposed to be a place where we get away from this stuff, where we don't hurt, where we don't do these things. We're not tempted and there's no evil. I think Jesus says in the kingdom right now, the way it is, there's evil. And in fact, I can back that up because in his parables, he actually says that, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a man who goes out to plant a field and he plants wheat. And at night, his enemy comes and plants weeds, And when they start to grow, his workers say, do you want us to pull the weeds? And the man says, no, 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 let them be. The kingdom of heaven is like a field of wheat and weeds. But at the right time, we'll separate the two. Not now, but at the right time. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gives a banquet for his son. And he invites people and they make light of it and they don't come. And so the king says, go out. He tells his servants, go out and invite people to fill my banquet hall. Invite the good and the bad. And so they go out and they invite both the good and the bad. Come. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet hall filled with good and bad. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that catches fish, both good and bad. And at the right time, they're separated out. Kingdom of heaven right now is a place where there's evil. But in the midst of the evil, in the midst of the temptation, in the midst of not having enough for everybody, everybody not having enough for daily life, God is with us. God is there to lead us. God is there to rescue us, to deliver us. God is present in the midst of the kingdom that we encounter every day right here, right now. So the question is, if this is how Jesus wants us to pray, and if this is indeed the picture of the kingdom right now, and he's inviting us to be a part of that growing kingdom, how do we work with that? How do we work together towards this picture of God's kingdom in today's climate? Another way to ask that question, how do we live humbly on the edge on the edge of chaos, on the edge of, what, broken families, on the edge of a pandemic? How do we live humbly on the edge of this kingdom in our midst and working towards it? This week um, at a conference uh, that I was on in Zoom, um, One of the presenters, Dr. Andrew Root from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, said the big question right now is, how do you live a life of faith in the constant condition of doubt and uncertainty? And he said that, and I just felt my whole life get wrapped up in a sentence. How do you live a life of faith under the constant condition of doubt and uncertainty? 
what I want to do for the rest of this talk is to maybe give us some things that will help us to live in that life of faith, to help us to live on the edge in a humble way, to work towards this kingdom of God, but also to help us in very practical ways about what we do when our roommate says something that we find highly offensive. What do we do when we drive by a neighbor who has a sign in their yard for a candidate, and on the top it says, God guns country candidate. And I'm offended at that. To put guns next to God and country. Mm. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not anti-gun. I've hunted before, I've used guns. But that bothers me. What do we do when um, the people in my congregation are on polar opposites of the political spectrum and they come to me and they say, but that person is politicking at church. That person is using this place in church to get votes. What do we do? Um, awareness. I want to give you three things to be aware of right now. Um, last week, uh, in Jesse's talk, he talked about those moments when we have the fight or flight or freeze moments, right? And usually when that happens, so much of our attention in our brain is focused on kind of the threat and assessing the threat and what we're going to do that we lose awareness of a lot of things that can help us out. So the things I want to talk about tonight is if we can have an awareness of our times and the change that is happening right now, I think that's going to help us live humbly. If we can have an awareness of what's going on in our own lives, in our own hearts and minds, that's going to help us engage people at a level that de-escalates any kind of anxieties. And if we have an awareness that much of the time we're actually working towards the same goal, that we want the same thing, that so many of us want this kingdom of heaven, right? Where people have enough, where they can live their life, where there can be reconciliation and things can be put back together. And that even in the midst of evil, we know that God is with us and that he's going to deliver us and lead us through that. And most people want that. We're working for the same thing. So I want to talk about each of those. An awareness that things are changing. Right now, right now, we are in the midst of change of biblical proportions. And I'm not being uh, alarmist or that's not hyperbole. We right now are going through, as a human species, change of a biblical proportion. Okay? Um, let me just list some of the things that are going on here for right now. One, we are shifting out of an agricultural society around the world that we've been in for 10,000 years. 10,000. Before that, we were hunters and gatherers in small little tribes of about 35 to 40 people max. But then we started um, agriculture and the tribes were able to grow and we became tribal people. And then we had an ethnicity and we became ethnocentric. And then we became national-centric. 
and we had a national identity, right? But we're switching out of that agriculturally based society, and that's doing a couple things. Um, in 2012, for the first time in human history, more people now live in cities and suburban areas, urban areas, than in rural areas. For the first time in human history, more people, the majority of people live in urban, suburban areas than rural areas. Um, that's a stunning change for humanity. Absolutely stunning. Um, and it's not going to reverse. It can't. Um, so we've made this shift. With this shift also comes the issue around the patriarchy. Um, the patriarchy thrives in an agricultural system because men have the physical ability to herd animals and to farm big, with big animals, right? But even now, in the last 200 years with the shift um, towards machinery doing much of the work, anybody can do this, right? Um, so we're actually seeing this shift away from the patriarchy, and trust me, it's not going as fast as... We want it to go, but it's shift. And it throws into confusion all kinds of things about what it means to be men and women in the world and around different societies and cultures. This is happening around the world, not just with us. Okay, um, Which brings in all kinds of other things around gender and sexuality. Big change. Um, and, and as I said, that shift now... From the, that we've gone through between tribal and ethnic to national, and that's where we've been for a long time. Our, our primary identity as people has been in the nation, right? When I go back to my parents or my grandparents' generation, they were, man, we're American. And that was all around the World War I and World War II. We're American first. We know our ethnicity. I know that I'm Welsh and German and Swedish, Right? I know where I came from, but I'm American first. We are now making the transition to world-centric, where people are making their main identity as a citizen of the world first, and as of a nation second, and ethnicity third. That's a big shift. And you've probably felt that shift when someone has stood up and went, yeah, America first, right? That's not a bad thing. That's what we've been for 200 years. But the shift is starting to happen where people are looking and going, when I look at this TikTok video, I'm not much different than the person in Korea that made it, right? They're doing the same dance that I am. They've got the same phone that I have. They got, we're, we're much more alike than we are different. I'm a citizen now of the world. And that's huge change. And just so you know, not everybody is going to make the change, right? Not everybody's going to make the change. A lot of people have just decided, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to do it. Some people, even when they want to do it, struggle to do it. And that's why there's some generational stuff in here too. Because the older generation was taught differently. They were brought up. And the things that they were taught and learned about how life is and the narrative, the narrative that they use... They're being fair and honest and truthful and faithful. But you've been born into a very different world. And it's confusing to them. 
to me sometimes. It's just different. So we need to be aware that we're in this change. And trust me, everyone's doing their best. That's a Brene Brown saying. And I read it in her book. And then I told it to my daughter, who's 26. And I said, Brene Brown says, everybody's doing the best. And she goes, no, we're not. The literally next sentence in the book is, yes, they are. <laughs> I did the same thing. No, nobody's trying. They're not trying their hardest. Yes, she says, yes, everybody is. For whatever reason, everybody's doing the best they can. And I keep telling myself, that's a mantra, everybody's doing the best they can. I don't mind, I like where they're at, but for some sad reason, that might be the best they can do, but we're all doing our best. Second thing to be aware of, yourself. Know, know yourself. What, where are your anxieties? When you get anxious, when you get nervous or frustrated, where's that coming from? Just pause, take a breath, and say, why do I feel this way? Where's that coming from? Remember when I asked the question, are there politics in heaven? You had a first response, right? There was a response that you had to that question. Ask yourself, where did that response come from? Why do, I why do I have that response? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying judge it. But just say, where did that come from? And, and know that I had it. And also know that most of us humans live on, with what's called confirmation bias. Are any of you familiar with confirmation bias? Confirmation bias says that what we do is we have a narrative and an understanding and a belief about something, and then we look for evidence that supports that, right? And we give more weight to the evidence that supports it, and less weight, we diminish the weight that, of things that are against it, Right? We just say, ah, that's not, I don't trust that news source. Uh, I trust this one better because it agrees with me. We, that's just the way our brains work. And just be aware of that. So know where you're at. Also be aware of where you're called to engage. Um, this has been a hard one for me. Um, to be aware of where engage. When I see people out marching and protesting, I think, boy, I really believe what they believe. And then I think, maybe I should be out there protesting with them. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go out there and protest with them. That's me. I've been out on the protests. I've been on the marches and the walks. And while I'm out there, I have discovered that's not my call. The place that I'm called to engage is in teaching and preaching from a faith perspective, frequently in a faith community. That's where my gifts lie. When someone tries to bait me into debate, I sometimes get suckered in, but I really quickly realize that I am not very quick on my feet in a debate. Um, and usually the people that try to sucker me into that are people who are really good and who are really quick. And so I have to catch myself and say, don't rise to the bait. If you want to talk to me, I'll, we'll talk, but I'm not going to get in debate with you. I have to know where my gifts and my strengths and where God is calling me to be engaged. And I think that's fair for you too. Where are you being called to engage? When someone, when your roommate says something that is like poking you, do you need to rise to that bait? Maybe you want to. Maybe you want to let it go and work on the forgiving part, right? Third thing, beware that very often we're looking at the same thing. We're working towards the same goal, all right? Um, 
we're working towards the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you a story about my mother-in-law. Her name is Ruth. I love Ruth, mostly because she's the mother of my wife. Um, she is responsible for many of the really wonderful, beautiful things about my wife. She's also uh, got a hand in some of the things I really don't like about her as well. Um, uh, that's just being married. Um, uh, it, 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 she's, but she, Ruth can drive me crazy. Um, Ruth is an anti-abortion person with all of her heart and soul. She wants to see zero abortions. And when I say she's anti-abortion, I'm not just saying that she votes on that issue almost entirely alone. She does. But she has gone to marches in Washington, D.C. She has spent innumerable mornings or afternoons picketing outside of clinics that perform abortions in the belief that she can stop one, at least one. I am ashamed of that. My mother-in-law would do that. Because that doesn't feel Christian to me, but it feels Christian to her. And this is the issue. She does that out of a place of love and faithfulness. And I stand on the different side of that same issue and say, Ruth, I, I want no abortions. That would be a, a wonderful day in the world. But it's not going to happen by shaming women outside of a clinic. It's not going to happen by outlawing abortion and saying nobody can ever have one. And we have these conversations when, well, we don't have them that often. <laughs> I, I just am not going to go there on a family vacation, right? <laughs> you know, but the idea, you know, I, I want to say, but I want to say, you know, Ruth, that under democratic leadership and in a democratic administration, abortion rates actually go down. And they go down not because it's outlawed, they go down because we, there's money given to support single mothers, single parents, and they end up keeping the child. But we have the same goal. We're coming at it from two different directions. In her mind, it's about personal responsibility. In my mind, it's about systemic change. Both of those are true. Both of those are true. And there needs to be a balance. But when I can stop and say, Kevin, she's, she's going for the same thing you are. And she's doing it out of the same place that you are, this, this love and this faithfulness and the, this belief that the world can be better and that we can, I mean, the idea, I, I'm just going to, in Jesus' day, you weren't considered a human being until you were an adult, okay? When 50% of children die before the age of five, you weren't considered a person until you could prove that you could live, We've gotten to the point now where we're arguing about whether a, a, an unborn child is a human. That's progress. That's progress. And my mother-in-law is more progressive than she realizes she is. But that's what we're talking about here, right? It's about realizing that things are complex and that there's going to be complex solutions and that I'm going to have to listen 
to people with different ideas than mine. It's this awareness. And whenever I can stop and be aware that, man, everything's up in the air right now. Everything. When I can stop and say, okay, what's going on in your own heart, Kevin? What's driving this? And where are you called to go? And when I can stop and say, those people who I sometimes think are my enemies, I know they are good, caring, loving, compassionate people that are generous to a fault. And look at all of the wonderful things that they add to life. That backs me off a little bit. And it helps me to engage and to be engaged in building that relationship for a long time. Okay? Hard work. Hard, hard work. But it can help. And I think that's what God is here to help us do. To have that spirit just pause us, listen to where God is at in the world, in our hearts, and in other people. Take a breath and take a step. Would you please pray with me one more time? Gracious God, um, it is hard, but you have promised to be with us, to deliver us, to lead us away from the tests and the temptations, or at least to lead us through them. We pray that you would rest your spirit in your heart as we work on building your kingdom, as we work on being the people of your kingdom and sharing love and joy, hope, reconciliation, everything that we need for daily life and that we can be with each other through the hard times and the good, joyous times. Help us to be people of your kingdom now and forever. Amen.